just past 7 o'clock, and what do you know? Time for Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and going to be a great show once again. Ira, you know, we usually like to start off the show with where you've been, but there wasn't really all that much you could do this week. I was in front of my television set watching the Masters. <laughs> I mean, I love that. I, I, it's riveting. Even on Sunday afternoon, when you think that Hideki Matsuyano has this six-stroke lead and it's over, it's going to be a boring ending, the, the, that back nine of the Masters, it just brings you in. It puts the, it, It's amazing because it gives you the opportunities for the golfers that want to go and, and get those birdies and it gives that chance. And it also has those dangers of all the water and the problems with the trees. And uh, it's just ever, it's, as much as I thought this was going to be like, the most boring like last nine holes it was really exciting you know it's funny i was watching i was with some friends out of town and they're not big golf people but it's sunday at the masters and everyone was just convinced well he's gonna win and I'm like no 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 like this is it's you don't know what's gonna happen here and we've seen time and time again that there's a meltdown and i really did think that there was a chance that shoffley you know could make a move or or that he would uh you know that uh, Masayama wouldn't be able to keep these super bad, um, disappointing holes out of the way, but it didn't happen. Big congratulations. I was actually in the airport with him today. I didn't see him, but it's all over Twitter. He was in Atlanta airport this morning, and he's just got the green jacket draped over one of the, the chairs in the airport, not even covered up. Mike, I, I, I just love the green jacket you brought in. It just it looks <laughs> nice right now. I mean, if they come out, that they find that there's missing his there's missing green jacket. <laughs> Did you know you have to give it back to them after a year? You get to keep it for a year. You get to give it back. I guess Gary Player once took it to South Africa, and he kept it an extra year because he never brought it back when he was supposed <laughs> to bring it back. Um, and uh, But some of the the, the Jackets, people, you can actually buy. I think it started like in the 30s. We had Mark Canizero on who was talking about it. Mm-hmm. And like in the some of the ones in the 50s, 40s, and 50s, a couple of, there are some jackets you actually buy uh, that were before they started that rule. But they managed to escape with them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to have a great guest on before we've had him on. Um, he's the Titer Insider. His name is Rodney Orr. He's going to join us at 7 30. Tell us about him. Well, I'm excited because we have three weeks till the NFL draft, and everybody's talking about these drafts. And it's like, you might get, I'm just trying to give insight to the list on who some of these players are. And considering that I think it's six or seven, it could be eight Alabama players are in the, in the first really round, can. why not have someone who's seen every single one of these Alabama players, their practices, their games, their whatever, the everything. So I love to have that to bring it on and talk. We had him on before after the National Championship game, but I think in this way, asking him about the difference between Jalen, and these are, this is for the Dolphins, because the Dolphins are going to either Devontae Smith, Jalen Walter, Jamar Chase, who plays for LSU, but he certainly has insight into that. So I'd love to have uh, Rodney War come on and talk about that as an expert of Alabama football. We've seen Mac Jones climbing up draft boards, too, and I think that this is another one of those. You know, maybe six months ago, he wasn't on anyone's radar. Now he could be a top-five pick in the NFL draft. So I, I want to hear from Rodney what he thinks. Yeah, and I'm next week I'm excited because I just confirmed like an hour ago with Trey Lance's high school uh, awesome. football coach to come on. You're like, why do you want his high school? Because he played more high school football games than he played college <laughs> games. And it's going to be great to have him on and talk about Trey Lance in terms of because everyone talks Trey Lance, Trey Lance, and I guarantee you there's nobody out here that let's watch Trey Lance play no. maybe one game at most at North Dakota State. So they probably saw that the, the mock game they did for yes. <laughs> to demonstrate. Nobody saw him before that. Um, all right, let's talk about it. Congratulations, Hideki Matsuyama is your 2021 Masters champion. Yeah, first Japanese golfer to ever win a major, and that's going to make him, I would say, a hundred million to a billion dollars. I mean, we talked about Osaka in tennis and how popular she is in Japan. Uh, the, the, there's there's 10 million golfers in Japan. It is such a hot sport. And now to have a golfer actually win the Masters, it, it's just amazing. He is just going to be on every picture, everywhere. He'll be the most famous. I mean, he spends so much time here and in Japan. But the idea is when he's in America, he'll be blend in. Probably won't know. Then in Japan, he'll be the biggest rock star of any rock stars. Yeah, that actually worked out well for him. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he, he was someone who, it's interesting, in 2011, he was the low amateur at the Masters. So he came on in 2012 he was the number one amateur in the world. And in 2013, he was sixth in the British Open, 10th in the US Open, and a couple years later, fifth in the Masters. At 16, he won the Phoenix Open, won the World Golf Championship, and he's ninth on the money list. And in 17, he won the Phoenix again, second in the US Open, World Golf Championship. He had the 36-hole lead, the PGA Championship, was the number two player ranked in the world. Yeah. You're like, okay. And suddenly, 
three years of really not doing anything. Now, he didn't fall out. He wasn't Jordan Smith, but he sort of just did nothing. And he fell back to, it was, I think, 29th going into this tournament. But it was not on anybody's radar screen to win this. Uh, but it was like one of those things where he had those two years, but I said he wasn't a Spieth-like in terms of just fell out of the top 100, but hang in there. Now, since 2000, only six players from outside the top 15 in the world have won the Masters, uh, and only one first-time player has won this mate, won the Masters. And Hideki was uh, 29 and moved up. He moved up to 14 with the win, so it was a huge, huge win for that perspective. It, it was, and um, you know, it's interesting that you brought that up. And you're right, he didn't fall into obscurity, maybe name-wise because he wasn't a huge name beforehand, but he was still playing consistently good golf, just not winning anything. Yeah, we talked about this before. You win the Masters. It is. <laughs> it makes your career. I, it, Sergio Garcia could not win. People winning the Masters was more than the PGA Championship. He was open. There's nothing like the Masters. Danny Willett is always called Masters Champion. Like before your name, it's like a new name. Yeah. I mean, it's like you're worried about like King and Queen and Prince or whatever. <laughs> it's if you could have the name Masters Champion in front of your name, it doesn't matter what you do the rest of your life. Trevor Immelman won the Masters. It's Masters Champion Trevor Immelman. He's only won one other tournament, but no one. If you're gonna win one <laughs> tournament, you win the Masters. Uh, uh, Tyron Sports True. Oldies Channel 709. Rodney Orr of Tider Insider joins us at 7:30. So, what, what else are you thinking from this uh, amazing run by? Well, Hideki? on third, I just would go through a couple of days. On Thursday, I was I was surprised. Justin Rose jumps out, and we, there's, there's another one who we really weren't talking so much, but he won the U.S. Open in 2000, 2013, and he's been a second in the Masters twice. Mm -hmm. So he really was somebody who's 40 years old, um, and but he came out. He he was plus two after eight holes, and then was like minus nine through 11 holes. The best stretch of golf. Since since 2004. I mean, I'm really? watching that on TV, and he's just on fire doing great. And he, he has a huge stroke lead, a four-stroke lead over Matsuyama, who had, had a 69. And, and Hideki led, uh, started in the morning. So he was actually had that leader. So you know, he finished, but like if you watch on TV on at 10 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> Matsuyama was leading. And Jordan Spieth came back. He, as we were been talking about, is someone who uh, really just fell off the total radar the last couple of years, but had been first, second, second, first, second in the in the in the Masters. Uh, shot a, a, a one under 71. Uh, but it was like one of those things. It was one holes. I like to pull some things out there. On nine, he was in the trees. There was trees all around, and his caddy Michael Geller goes to him and says perhaps we should just get the ball out and this is on Thursday like you mm -hmm. don't you're not you're not down two strokes and he goes no I'm gonna he just goes tries through it hit more trees it was like a pinball machine <laughs> bouncing around and it was so stupid and he ended up with a triple bogey but of course he's yeah. the only person that come back triple bogeys and double bogeys and still hang in there well it's, Greller's seen a meltdown before maybe he was trying <laughs> to prevent it a few days early and then Shoffley Xander Shoffley who everyone says who's Shoffley now he's six in the world he's not he's, he's really up good. there but he's been now in 13 majors he's He's now has eight top tens in 13 majors. That's amazing. And he's been second and third in the Masters. He has four. He has a total of four titles. But in the U.S. Open, I looked at this stat. He's been fifth, sixth, third, and fifth in the U.S. Open. I mean, yeah. and here's someone. No, and I look. I did. I you know who I picked. I picked Justin Thomas, and I and I picked John Rahm. Yeah. And uh, but Thomas, speak about he had, he shot a 71 on on Thursday. Uh, three bad bogeys to start. And uh, and then one person, a couple other people, Kepka, uh, Brooks Kepka. I just give him total credit. I, when they said he was going to play two weeks after knee surgery, his doctor that did, and it was it was not like scoping nature. It was like with his kneecap, and I can't his believe his kneecap dis, dis, like, got dislocated. Yeah. I mean, that's like in the NBA, you're Patrick gone for. Holmes had that, didn't he? I mean, it was out like two two months. Right, playing football. Like, yeah, I know it's unbelievable, <laughs> but I think this is. I, I was very impressed that that he came in, and I should think it shows how much Brooks cares about the tournament. I think what Brooks cares about the game, how he would come to this. I I love that attitude. I mean, that was great to see him come in to do that. Um, and Dustin Johnson, now we talked about he has not been playing well. I followed him with the players. I just thought he wasn't sharp. And you saw this at this tournament. On, yeah. on Thursday, you're expecting, here's a guy that six months ago, I know the course was different, it was softer, but just ran away. He's number one in the world, and he shoots a 72, uh, plus 274, so that wasn't good. And Rory, again, six bogeys. And then the one... <laughs> I was like putting these stories out. So I'm watching it and he hits the ball on this one hole. It was going so far right and hits this guy. And the guy, after it hits him, keeps walking. And I'm like, wait a second. You got your ball hit by Rory McIlroy. And instead of just staying here waiting to see a second shot, you keep walking. Like, don't you, you know Rory hit you that shot. Or whoever hit the, the shot, you get a free glove. I yeah. mean, it clearly hit the guy. And then I realized later it's his father. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why his father was probably so like, I don't want to be involved yeah, in that. Let me get away from this. And then the other question on, on, on Thursday was 
Bryson DeChambeau, what's he going to do? That's where I was trying to follow it. It was hard with all the channels. I mean, I'm literally like following it like this, like you have one holes on, on the four or five, and then you have the Amen Corner, and then you have 15, 16, and you have this. You're trying to watch all the different people, and I'm trying to watch Bryson the whole time. Terrible. Uh, he has uh, double bogeys on on, uh, on the fourth hole. He didn't get his first bogey till the 30 to the 15th hole. He was just horrendous. Oh, and, and he had one good round the whole tournament, but again, he has not figured it out. He is, he just, it's like the Masters, they've learned from Tiger proofing. They have definitely Bryson DeChambeau. And, <laughs> but his comment is like, this, this, this tournament plays as a 67 for me. It's a 72 bar. But it's a 67. Well, if it was a 67, then you shot a plus 7 on the first day. <laughs> and then Sun J.M. had, he was the best on the tour on par 5s, but he shot a 9 on a par 5 on the 15th and uh, was out of the tournament with the plus 577 on, on Thursday. Let's move on to Friday. Well, just on Friday, Rose struggled. He's four bogeys on the first seven holes, just as he did on Thursday, but he hung in there, finished with a seven under. And then we got Will Zalatoris, who I, I get another out one out of nowhere. He was a few years ago, he, he was trying to get a, a play on the Corn Ferry Tour. Couldn't even get on there. He, went, when he, he wasn't one of these young golfers that everyone thought was so great, and he couldn't even get into scholarships to most schools. Wake Forest gave him a, a scholarship. But he does play with Spieth. Spieth knows him, and he's good friends with Tony Romo. So we're just going to start <laughs> name dropping. You know, in, in the breaks that we talk on Saturday when there's a rain delay. Romo's calling Zalatoris, uh, Tom Brady called Finau, and Hideki played video games. That was yeah. what they... Yeah, he went to his car, right? <laughs> yes. And played video games by himself. And... and and uh, go ahead. Go any other takeaways from Friday? Uh, and the other was Sunwee Kim uh, was a, a golfer. On 14, he got so mad, he broke his putter. Just broke it. And remember, you have to keep... You can't just say, oh, I need another putter. You got to play with whatever bags. Yeah. You can't break... So then he finished 15, 16, 17, 18 with a driver and actually putted pretty well, putting with a driver out there on the hole. What are some of the names that we were uh, disappointed here didn't make the cut? Well, Sergio finished early. He was 76 and 72, and he's just sort of living off the fact that I won the Masters and whatever. <laughs> uh, and it was exciting. I love the end of Friday because you had Berger and Dustin Johnson, who were both on the cut line at plus three. And the cut line wasn't moving, and they bogeyed 17, and, and so did Dustin Johnson. Bo bo they both bogeyed 17. They weren't playing together, but they both bogeyed, and then they couldn't birdie anything to 18 to get in. So both uh, Daniel Berger, who was a big favorite coming here, he, he, he didn't make the cut at plus four. Dustin Johnson did to make it. Brooks did make it a plus five. Lee Westwood, who we've seen has been so hot. So he was a 78-71, couldn't make it. And Rory, just plus six. Again, now here's Rory McIlroy, who ever, it's the one title that he needs to win to complete the career Grand Slam. Just was, he had two bogeys and a double. He was plus eight after ten, no shot. Uh, Cantlay, who another people, a lot of people are saying, oh, Patrick Cantlay's going to do well in this. He's, another Palm Beach resident, do well. Jason Day, plus nine. And Matthew Wolf, <laughs> who, I mean, Matthew Wolf was second the US Open, whatever, nine months ago, he was he shot a 76-79, and worse than that, he was disqualified because he didn't sign this card right. So even though he's going to miss the cut, he was disqualified. You don't want a DQ on my Masters. So and then Sun JM ended up with plus thirteen. Sandy Lyle, who's like I think seventy five, beat him. Uh, it was just <laughs> Sun JM. It's just a, a, a terrible for for someone to go from second to last is pretty amazing. It, it, it's baffling, head scratching. That's for sure. Seven sixteen, Iron Sports. Let's go to Moving Day. Oh well, Moving Day. It was it was like one of those things where Rose came out with a house of fire. You're like now he's had. Had two, I always said to myself, Justin Rose is experienced. He's 40 years old. It's not like Wolves Torres has the lead over. He's someone who has been leading. He's led rounds at the Masters. He, he, he is, he's used to this. He's not going to choke. His other player is not going to choke. And he came out like a house of fire. He had two birdies, got up to, actually got up to nine under par. Then he bogeyed two, two back to get to seven. And Spieth was a disaster. I mean, here's a chance you're like waiting for Spieth to make his move. Again, bunker to bunker, double, <laughs> double bogeys. Uh, it just was hitting. He had an amazing shot. He hit the ball in the woods. You thought he had a double bogey. Then he hit the ball in the woods, going to have another double bogey, and he ends up burning that hole, which is insane. Suddenly, the rain breaks the action. An hour and a half, there's no rain. So there's rain. Everybody goes, and they don't go back to the club. Remember, they go into their cars. Mm -hmm. They're same cars. And the Tony, the, why Tom Brady's calling Tony Fino? I don't know. They've only met each Strange. other one time. Um, and they're getting pep talks. And it's exciting to hear this thing. But they come out, and I'm waiting. Okay. Justin Thomas has come out. The greens are, everyone said the greens are going to be soft. It's going to be easy for scoring. You're waiting for Spieth, Thomas, make the run, and maybe Justin Rose to do well. Wow, they come back, and it, and it is Hideki, who's the only one who really took advantage of something. He came back, he birdied 11, birdied 12, and JT, Justin Thomas, comes back. He, he, he has back-to-back -back bogeys, 
And then he hits, and then at one point he was in the creek, and then on 13, he turned up with a triple bogey. He went from eight under all the way down, down eight down to, 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 to one under. I mean, he just totally fell out. It lost the tournament just in that section. And there was that one, this one point that was so exciting. Hideki uh, putts for eagle, and, and that's when Zelotouris was at the same time. But Shoffley on the same hole in 15, it was like one of the, I think, four or five times it's ever happened that two pl- players playing both eagled, eagled the same hole. They both, so Shoffley went to seven. Seven under Matsuyama Eagles goes to nine under and Roseburg birdies to go to eight under. But then all Matsuyama did was just birdie again at 16 and 17. Uh, just tremendous. And Spieth was just hanging around there at five under and Rose fell back also. So at the end of the day, Hideki with those Eagles with the birdies at the end, he's at a let you like wake up from this whole thing. Hideki's at 11 under, Zelatoris is at 7 under, Leishman at 7 under, Rose at 7 under, Shoffley 7 under, and Spieth is all the way back at 5 under, and my favorite, Justin Thomas, was at 1 under. And you're like, wow. I mean, that's, and you're like, wow, now Hideki has a four shot lead, and you figure the winner is only going to, I think, 90% of the time coming from that final group, and no one comes back for more than four strokes. I think Faldo was the last one to actually come back over Norman to come back from that final group to more than four strokes. So you're like, there's only like five guys that are going to win this tournament and that's what led yeah. into Sunday uh, uh, all day Saturday you're watching waiting for one of the big names to make that move make that run and get into even if they're just four strokes back like the Zalatoris of the world you had more confidence then so going into Sunday I'm looking at Matsuyama like this is yours to win it obviously was and there were some points where it was a little scary I thought it was the ebbs and flows it was like you woke up it was up four and then immediately all you said early in the day you saw Rom get four birdies and Rom was my other pick and I'm mm. like Finally, Rom, who shot 72, <laughs> 72, 72. Where's the John Rom sighting? Unbelievable. Goes throws, amazing. And then Zelatoris. So you're waiting for, like, Zelatoris, I expect a shot, like, 77. Okay, you're already, you're in this league. Yeah. You're going to have 77, 78. You'll be out of the tournament. We're not going to talk about, well, he'll be like one of those people that plays that they won't show. Like, they'll show who he's playing <laughs> yeah. with. They won't show him. But Zelatoris gets the birdies. It's unbelievable. And then suddenly, and then Hideki, his first drive was, like, in the trees, at wherever. And suddenly, it went from a four-shot league down to one. One early. Mm-hmm. Like it was such an early shot lead. But then Zelatoris did bogey. Hideki birdied, sort of made it past there. And Spieth was still, he, he Spieth got down to, to three under. It was just unbelievable. They stopped showing Jordan Spieth because he seemed to be so far mm-hmm. out of the tournament. And Rom birdied, and it was five under. And he had two to Eagles chances. I'm like, okay, well, if Hideki collapses, maybe I won't look so stupid with my Justin Thomas prediction because maybe <laughs> John Rom will play well. So after four, it was Hideki was up by three over Zelatoris at eight. And then um, Shoffley, Double bogeyed five, the fifth hole after two bogeys. So Shoffley's now out of the tournament, and Decky's at 11 under. So it just gave him this chance. But suddenly then Spieth starts to make his move. It's like it's almost like that wrestling when there's like a guy yeah. in the ring. Like WrestleMania, <laughs> we're not going to talk about. But it's like something happens, and you're just waiting, and it's like who's going to come forward? Zalatoris has a chance. He fell back. Suddenly Spieth is now coming up there. And uh, and then it was like it was like this point where at after 10, uh, after Shoffley, uh, Zelatoris bogeyed 12. So it was a six-shot lead. A six-shot lead, you're like going to nine. And you're thinking, okay, well, this is, it's, it's going to be over. But, uh, but then Hideki, he, he played smart. On 12, instead of going stupid and getting a triple bogey or double bogey, he just threw a bogey in there. So he dropped down to a five-stroke lead. But on 13, it's a par five. I think it was the defining hole of the entire tournament. Hideki was in trouble. He chipped in for a birdie. And Shoffley was putting for an eagle. He just made a birdie. But that could have been a three Three-shot swing. Yeah. Shoffley could have came up. It could have been 11 and 10. Like, it could have been an 11-10 thing. And then everyone started moving up. Shoffley keeps burning. He's burning. He, and Spieth keeps burning. And, and Zelatoris keeps burning. So you've got a situation where it's getting a little closer. And then even at 15, then, uh, Hideki is at 13 under. Shoffley is uh, at 9. Zelatoris at 8. Spieth is 8. And then and then what does Hideki do? He's four strokes. He has a four-stroke lead. Up for, with four you know, four holes to go, and he hits the second ball right in the water, yeah. and it's like, oh. you're, and you're thinking, and I love what the announcer goes. Seve Valsteros was leading Jack by two on 15 when he actually hit the ball in the water. You're thinking about 2016 when Spieth was leading the Masters by seven strokes over Danny Willard and had won the tournament the year before and blew it. Uh, Molinari was leading. People forget that uh, the two years ago, Molinari was leading Tiger by two. And that's when he hit the ball in the water. And then you think about 1999, uh, Van Vidal. Van Vidal. Van Vidal. Van Vidal. <laughs> right. <laughs> he lost a three-shot lead on the final hole where he just needed a double bogey to win the tournament and he hits a triple bogey and ties and loses. 
most iconic moments right, in right, golf. He's taking his clothes off <laughs> yeah. and he's going in the water. So you're like thinking, and, but I, what the key was when he's in the water, instead of what everyone else was doing, the triples, the doubles, he just said, I'm going to bogey the hole. He played it safe, hit it there. Bogey, instead of, so instead of it had a six, instead of a, an eight or a nine, stayed in that instead of having that triple bogey, minimized the damaging. And at that point, he, that's really, that helped him because then instead of, he was able to keep that lead. He was only down to 12. Shoffley was at 10. So that two stroke lead. Uh, and then with Zalatoris birdie to get to nine under at 17, you're like, oh my gosh, this is great. But then on 16, this is where Shoffley. So 16, I, I'm not criticizing. I thought Shoffley was going for it. He, he had to. He had to go for a tougher shot. He missed the shot, but at least he tried. He was playing to win, but he had a triple bogey on that hole. Because I think after he lost the shot, then he overhead. You saw mm-hmm. with Molinari, it's like they put you in that drop zone. And sometimes the drop zone chart, shots are much harder than the than the normal shot. So he triple bogeyed. He fell back to seven. And you're like, and then Spieth bogeys. On, uh, on on 18 to fall to seven. So you're thinking, okay, this is over. It's, but um, but Hideki, it actually, Zelatoris stands in there. So he had like a two-shot lead. Hideki in the last two holes only had a two-shot lead. And he was able to sort of limp in. And, and, and on the last hole, he bogeyed the last hole one by one stroke over Zelatoris. But I got to give Zelatoris credit for actually finish That par, he sank like a 15-foot par at the end. And uh, finishing at nine under. Hideki finished 10 under. And Spieth and Shoffley uh, finished at seven under. It was uh, it was a great tournament. Congratulations to Matsuyama. Someone in my pool, we take six golfers. Someone took Will Zalatoris. No, I, I promise you. I don't know how anybody he would have been on anyone's radar. And he was one of these. There was a few articles about long shots. I liked Wolf and I liked Dylan Fratelli that throw ten bucks on and hope to you know make a thousand. Wasn't touching Will Zalatoris. I'll tell you what. Next year, we all. I mean, this is one of the most bet events. Like people, mm. everyone bet. Everyone, even people who don't like golf, are all betting this event. But you're going to see every year. Spieth is going to be. I don't care if Spieth hasn't won a tournament you're from right. now till then. He's going to be one of the favorites. Shoffley is definitely going to be one of the favorites. Zalatoris is going to be clearly one of the favorites. I mean, you can see who the favorites are going to be because if Zalatoris in his first, like he was, they were analyzing it last night on the Golf Channel, and they're like, he was really didn't know what he was doing out there. He's no experience. <laughs> first time he's ever played the tournament, and he still. Finishes like that, uh, one stroke off the lead. Think if he understood the tournament, if yeah. he understood what was going on, where he's going to be. I mean, he's it's amazing. And it's so funny, he weighs. I don't want to count count what his weight is, he's but he's a size like twenty six weighs. And then you have a guy like Bryson DeChambeau, <laughs> and it was and you compare them. And uh, I mean, it, oh by the way, he shot a seventy five and a seventy five, totally out of the tournament. And so certainly, if he was shooting it for the sixty seven as a tournament, he'd be plus twenty something. Uh, but it was uh, it was like one of those things where it just showed you. you you don't have to put on weight to hit because he was hitting it far, hitting it straight, and putting great. Even Shoffley can't lay. Not they're not big guys. Ricky Fowler, Justin Thomas, Bryson is just trying to take it to the next level. <laughs> uh, we got just five minutes out until we get to Rodney War. Did you want to talk championship? Yeah, game? let's go. Let's draft? go over the game because we don't want to talk about the fact that a week ago I predicted that Gonzaga was going to be. Pale. I'm sure your phone did not stop uh, even at, at halftime. I bet a lot of your friends were already. There, starting to everyone rib you. is always making. And I have to say, I was wrong and I was nervous though because I like Baylor a lot, but I felt like and I said it was going to be a heavyweight fight, and it was just like one of those games where it's nine zero. 16-4. I didn't like the fact. This is what I didn't like about Mark Few. He doesn't. It, sometimes you have to realize that this game is getting away. And he I don't. Have. I think he got away before he realized it was getting away. And I also that Watson is one of their big power forwards. And in this game, Vital and Thamba were getting these rebounds, and, and Timmy was just getting pressured and pressured in the turnovers. They needed more size in there. When the season started, they brought Nemhard, who's the other guard from Florida, who I love. But they had him coming off the bench. But I would have put Watson. They, they needed. They needed rebounding help. They got destroyed on the boards. I mean, the, the boards were uh, thirty-eight to twenty-two. For the whole game, yeah. you, you needed to. They, he had to realize what was going on, and it just was a mess. And 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 they couldn't use a Y.E. They didn't use their speed. Everything they did right. Now they were down to BYU. They've been down other problems, but this was a little bit different. And Baylor just they scored on ten of the first thirteen possessions. The only thing that was happy for me, Gonzaga, was a 47-37 half. They actually made a 9-2 run right at the end of the half. I'm like, okay, maybe they survived. Maybe this was like, uh, you know, could survive this whole thing. But Gonzaga was one for six from, from th- in the three in the first half, on the best three-point shooting team in the country, and they were one for six. Just a disaster. And then the first possession of the second half, Butler, uh, Jared Butler comes out for Baylor. 
three, then he hits another three. And then the only thing I was hoping for was that they started getting in foul trouble. Thamba was in foul trouble, the big guys were in foul trouble. But again, Gonzaga just couldn't figure anything out. And it was just the turnovers and, and the un, inability to rebound and the shot, they looked terrible. Gonzaga looked awful. This is what I, I disagree. I would love to see them in a seven game series. I think it was like one of oh, those yeah. games where they were just, they were not prepared. I think the UCLA game, we talked about this, it took a lot out. They talked about, were we talking, has anyone talked about Jalen Suggs shot? I mean, no one is talking about Jalen <laughs> no. Suggs shot. Like, it, again, is that the greatest game of all time? Like, suddenly you don't become the greatest game of all time unless you actually win and do that. But Butler scored 22 points. Uh, Mitchell, uh, 15 points. Teague, 19 points. There are three guards. They all shot 14 or 15 shots the same amount. And Flagger came in off the bench, 13 points. And what I like about what Baylor does is that Vital and Thamba, this is what I'm saying, some of these other teams. You have 10 or 15, they're not, those big guys were just getting rebounds. They weren't shooting threes. Like, they knew who their three-point shooters were, and they're shooting threes. You only have so few possessions in a game. Let your good shooters shoot those shots. They're 30, 40% three-point shooters. Let them shoot. I don't mind you shooting so many shots. Just make sure, like, the Tyro Heroes and the Duncan Robinsons are taking the shots. You don't want, you know, like, even with the Warriors, and we talked about this before, you don't have Andrew, when they were great, and they say, oh, they took more threes than anyone. Yeah, because it was Steph and Clay taking the yeah. threes. You didn't have Andrew Bogut taking 20 threes a game. Even Draymond Green only took a couple threes a game. The point is, you had your, you have your three-point. I think that's what Butler did. That was, I mean, Baylor did. That was smart. And uh, Gonzaga, it was just... And it's terrible because now they're going to say Gonzaga is overrated. It's their schedule. Everything has been criticized about them. I just feel... I feel bad for Gonzaga. I feel bad for my pick. And uh, it's... But next year, they got a, they got a great seven-footer coming in who can do everything. He's called the Unicorn. And uh, they have another good guard coming in. So they're going to reload. And we'll see if they're going to run it back next year. It's interesting what you brought up about the UCLA game. I do think that took a lot out of them and also gave Baylor a little bit of a blueprint of what to do to keep yourself in a game versus these guys. We didn't have that on tape, you know, all season, especially through the tournament. Timmy had a tough game. I mean, their pressuring of Timmy, they just, whenever Timmy, I think they were smart and you see this a lot. They just trapped him. Whenever they get the off, they realized the offense for, for uh, Gonzaga ran through Timmy. Timmy would catch the ball on the foul line and he's such a great passer. And they're just saying, we're going to double team him. We're not going to let him even throw the ball around. So they just put all these bodies on him. He couldn't, and then just kept turning the ball over, and that was a problem. And then Baylor was the one team that took advantage. When Gonzaga turned the ball over, they pressured them. Gonzaga couldn't run their fast breaks. And uh, I didn't like how Hawaii played. I said, I think Mark Few did not coach the game. I think no. he, he there's some points in games where, like, at the end of the game, they let Suggs, because you let your team play through. And I'll say this about Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson was smart at the end of the game to let teams play through. But in playoff games, he would call quick timeouts early. And I think few realize that sometimes you do have to call, even if your team is better and great. You don't want you don't play through in championship games. And, and as someone who watched Michael Jordan play a zillion games during the regular season, sure, he's going to let the Bulls learn through. But in the playoffs, I saw him many times in the finals especially call really quick timeouts because he wanted to get things organized for the team. And they could have done that in the first two and a half minutes of that game. And Anyone should've. who's watching it saw what was happening. Yeah. It was just they were not getting the rebounds. They needed rebounding in there. No, you're absolutely right. It's time to get to our guest for the evening. He's Rodney Orr of Tider Insider. You can follow him at Tider Insider. Rodney, thank you so much for joining us here on Iron Sports once again. Hey, Ira. Uh, good to be with you. Great, Rodney. Well, thanks for coming on. But, you know, I'm trying to break down this NFL draft, and I look, and it seems like every player is, I think it's like the whole Alabama team is going to be drafted in the first round. So, like, who better to bring on? I know we just had you on a few months ago, but I'm like, we got to bring Rodney back because, I, you know, down here in Miami, we're, we're in South Florida, West Palm Beach, but there's a lot of interest you know, between Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, who's going to whatever. And so I figured, let's ask you about some of these players. Give us some insight so at least when we know when people are talking them a little more about them that we might not hear if we're watching this ESPN every day. Well, you know, again, it's going to be a bountiful year in terms of Alabama in the draft. You know, several players. Uh, you know, I, I think at least four will go in the first round. Probably, or quite probably, five. And some people have even projected as many as seven. I don't think it goes that high. But it, you know, again, I, I think four or five for sure go in that first round. And the question is, Ira. You know, do the 49ers, do they take Mac Jones with pick number three? I think that's the one that everybody, you know, is kind of still talking about. That's kind of the buzz. That's been a strong, you know, indication that the 49ers would do that. That'd be an incredible thing for Mac Jones, obviously. Uh, you know, a guy that just think a year ago people were talking about, can, it, can Alabama replace Tua? And, you know, Mac came out, had a, obviously a great year, tremendous year. 
and now has positioned himself possibly to be the number three pick. You've got the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith. You know, he's going to go early. Jalen Waddell, Patrick Sertain. Some people think he may be the best overall defensive player in this draft. Uh, you know, the corner. He'll certainly be a top 10, 12 pick. Uh, now, here's where you wonder what's going to happen with a guy like Christian Barmore. Some people think he's the best defensive tackle in the draft. Uh, he's a guy that Ira, I don't know how familiar with him you are, but Christian Barmore literally played two seasons. He was a redshirt freshman. Uh, he redshirted as a true freshman. He played his freshman and sophomore year, dominated the national championship game, and now he's probably going to be a first-round pick. Landon Dickerson, another guy that I think has a great chance to go in the first round, or at least a chance. You know, he hurt his knee, obviously, ended his season in the Florida game, the SEC championship game. But he did come back, if you remember, incredibly, in the in the championship game against Ohio State at the very end of the game just to get a snap in that they played in the game. So it's pretty phenomenal. And then Alex Leatherwood, who's from Pensacola, uh, has been a four-year player at Alabama, three-year starter, played a lot of different positions. Won the Outland. Dickerson won the Remington. Uh, so those uh, you, you wonder, will, will Leatherwood go in the first round? I, I'm thinking probably second round, uh, late second round possibly. We'll see what happens. So, I mean, we're getting back to Mac Jones, is Mac mm-hmm. Jones someone who could be you know, the third pick in the draft in, in terms of that level? Some people say you hear, he's A.J. McCarron. He's someone who's just, you know, he's a good backup quarterback in the NFL. He's not a first-round pick. What, where's your, where you've, you saw A.J. McCarron. You've seen Mac Jones. Where do you see him in terms of his future in, in the NFL? Yeah, you know, when you look at Mac, I mean, he's just so uh, incredibly smart, uh, so incredibly quick with his decisions. He sees things before – they, they happen. Uh, he, he comes to the line of scrimmage. They're at the line of scrimmage, obviously, and he, he sees it, takes the snap, knows where he's going with the ball basically most of the time. He can improvise better than people think. He's not a great, great athlete, uh, you know, in terms of scrambling around, but he can move. He's very nifty in the pocket, can avoid people. He makes subtle moves to be able to position himself to make throws. He can throw the ball from awkward positions, which they like nowadays. But I don't know if you remember this particular play in the national championship game or not, uh, Ira, but I'm going to try to refresh your memory. (laughs) If you remember, Alabama was taking control of the game, and they blitzed Baron Browning, Ohio State did, from the outside and forced Mack to fumble the ball. Right. Uh, and, And Okay, the next drive, Alabama's moving in Ohio State territory, so they bring Browning off the corner again. Mac knew it was coming, and he made an incredible throw to Najee Harris. And Najee made a great catch and ran it in for a touchdown. But it was just it was an improvisational type play, and it showed what Mac can do. Again, he's not the most fantastic athlete, but he is a guy that has some improvisational skills. So I think you know AJ's heralded around here. You have to remember he won two, almost won three national championships. So he's kind of the, one of the favorites of all time. Uh, but I would say Mac is probably, as I look at him as a pro prospect, I think Mac's probably a little bit ahead of AJ. And you just talked about Najee Harris, and I guess the, the big news this week was what Todd McShay questioned. I, he, I think he was trying to compliment Najee, saying he improved his receiving, and Najee got really mad about that in terms uh, of his receiving. And, and I'm a Steeler fan here, so there's been talk that, that running backs don't go in the first round. We keep hearing running backs are not in the first round, but you see a lot of drafts. I mean, Najee going there with the Steelers, going maybe even to the Dolphins who are looking for running backs, teams like that. What From your experience of watching him, what's, I mean, you we have no doubt. I mean, one thing about Alabama quarterbacks in the NFL, maybe a little question mark. I think the entire league is full of Alabama running backs. Yeah, and Najee would be really mad at me because I didn't mention him in the first round. But I, I, I do think there's a good chance Najee could go in the first round. Uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, this is a guy that when he came here, he was the number one high school running back in the country out of Antioch, California. Came to Alabama. Uh, didn't get a ton of care. You mentioned all those backs. I mean, Josh Jacobs was here. Damian Harris was here. You know, other very talented backs the first couple of years when Najee was here. And so he wasn't the guy that got the bulk of the carries, and that's what he needs. He's that kind of back. He's 6'2", 230, sledgehammer. So I would say about halfway through the 2019 season, maybe a little before halfway, 
they started really utilizing Najee more. He started kind of coming around. His deal was, Ira, when he first got here, Najee thought he was an 80-yard runner. You know, he wanted to break the long one. And when they finally convinced him, hey, you're a 230-pound sledgehammer. Use your gifts. Use your skills. You know, the, the, the longer runs will come. But use what you have to it the fullest. And Najee finally kind of it clicked with him. Then they, you know, became a better receiver. I say a better receiver. He got more opportunities as a receiver. And then he could display what he could do catching the football. And listen, I'm telling you, 6'2", 230-pound running back that can catch the ball the way Najee can, he, he can turn his body uh, in air. Uh, he can adjust to the ball extremely well. He's extremely gifted when it comes to catching the ball out of the backfield. So I think Najee will be a really good player for somebody. Yeah, maybe not first. I mean, I think he's going to be first round in the NFL draft, but guaranteed first round fantasy football draft coming up for anybody. But compare Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, because that's one where at the at the Dolphins at six, they're like, what's going to happen? Is, is both going to be available? What What's the difference between Smith wins the Heisman Trophy, but going to the year Jalen Waddle was the favorite was one of the, if there was a person you were going to say was going to win the Heisman, it would have been Jalen Waddle. So a little comparison between the two of those. You know, even going back to when Jerry Judy was at Alabama with Ruggs and Devontae Smith and, and Waddle, you had all four of them there at one time, believe it or not. And you could see that the difference was, I would call, uh, I think the perfect nickname for Devontae Smith is Silk. I mean, he is just silky smooth, very smooth, very fluid. You don't realize how fast he is until you see him running past people. You know, some guys, I don't know what his 40 speed is. You know, I don't I don't know. But I'll tell you this. When he's on the football field, he runs past people. He's very deceptive, uh, very elusive. Uh, with subtle, He has some subtle elusiveness where he can just avoid people uh, with real subtle moves. But great hands. I mean, catches everything. Very tough. People talk about his size only being 170 pounds. He's about 6 feet, 6'1". Six but uh, 170 pounds, but he's built really, I, I mean, seriously, when you look at him, you would, up close, he's very muscular, very strongly built. He's got a tough body, and I think that's the key, a tough body. Uh, that's what Devontae Smith has. You know, Waddle is more of one of those jitterbugs, uh, a guy that, I mean, he can change directions as quickly as anybody I've ever seen. Great acceleration. If you remember Amari Cooper out of that Miami area, the acceleration he had at Alabama, the acceleration he's had, you know, shown in the NFL at times, uh, he has that kind of acceleration, great quickness, tremendous hands, and, and, and Waddle can really leap too. Even though he's not very tall, maybe 5'10", he can really get up. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think both of them are great players. And, and listen, I was going to say the, the bonus with Waddle is he can return punts and kickoffs. With the, uh, I mean, he's extremely talented. He gives you a guy right away that is a tremendous weapon on, on kick returns. But I'll say this, too. Uh, same thing with Devontae. When Waddle went down this year, eventually they put Devontae back at, at, to return punts. He had, a, I think, an 83-yarder against Arkansas for a touchdown. He was a whisker from breaking others, so he can do that as well. And then uh, we have a lot of Cowboy fans everywhere. There's Cowboy fans. And the, one of the picks you see going to them, because as everyone knows, the Cowboys have no secondary help whatsoever. And every game they're losing 30 to nothing in the first quarter is uh, Patrick Sertain at cornerback. And, 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 and I know Sertain's had this up and down sort of an Alabama. I mean, if you're playing the SEC with the passing they have, you're going to get burnt on some plays. But, but talk a little about Patrick Sertain and, and where do you think how he'll do in the NFL? Yeah, uh, you know, Patrick Sertain is uh, very tall. I mean, he's a long 6'2", 208 pounds in the four fours. as a 40 guy, low four fours, a vertical inch around four, a vertical jump of around 40 inches. I mean, he measures out extremely well. Uh, you know, great cover guy. Um, you know, a lot of people didn't throw at him this year. They didn't challenge him very much. And when they did, you know, he, he can't he, – played extremely well against some top receivers. I mean, when you, like you said, in the SEC, you're playing against the Floridas and some of these teams that they can really throw the football. Uh, uh, he's a lockdown corner. I mean, it's 6'2", 208. 
uh, just a tremendous prospect, I think, and everything that you know they cranked him to, up to be coming out of high school. Played here for three years at Alabama, and uh, you know he started basically from day one. Um, and that's not easy to do, as you know, yes. Ira. That's not easy to do. But he walked in and started, and you know, again, he's a very instinctive player. Got a lot of range. I mean, I've seen him, you know, cover the field to make some interceptions and. Uh, but yeah, I think that would be a tremendous pick. And if the Cowboys were to pick Patrick Sertain, you know, that would give them Sertain. And the guy on the other side, Javon Diggs, is an Alabama guy as well. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think you've seen that on most NFL teams, totally packed with Alabama. And, then, and finally, I mean, we, we mentioned them at the beginning when I started talking to you about these players, but the offensive line. And, and I think everyone knows Landon Dickerson and the, the, the inspiration. I mean, I'm a Steeler fan, and I think the Steelers have had three centers in, in 40 years. So the point is we understand how important the center on the offensive line is. And, and then Leatherwood actually had a great year also. So you have these two uh, great offensive linemen. Tell us a little about those two. Well, here's the here's the great thing about them. Uh, number one, they're they're not only tremendous at what they did, where Leatherwood ended up at left tackle and Dickerson at center, but they can they're very versatile. I mean, you look at Alex Leatherwood; he has played right tackle, he's played right guard, he's played left guard, he's played left tackle. He can do it all there. Now he didn't play center, but he did everything else. Um, you know, you look at uh, you look at Dickerson. He's legitimately a guy that can play every position. He could play guard, center, or tackle on either side. Probably, maybe not left tackle necessarily. Although I, I think that he did work there some at, at Florida State when he was young, young player before he transferred to Alabama. But yeah, and you know, these are guys. Let me tell you about Alex Leatherwood. If you remember this. Very early in the national championship game in 2017, he was a true freshman. It was very early in the third quarter. Alabama was down 13 to nothing. And Alabama's starting left tackle. Now in the NFL, Jonah Williams, first-round pick of Cincinnati Bengals, went down with an injury. Guess what? They plugged in a freshman named Alex Leatherwood, and Alabama won that game, as you remember. Alex Leatherwood did a tremendous job in that game. So he's been playing for a long time in this program and has done an extremely good job. We talked about him winning the Outland. Uh, I like Alex Leatherwood a lot, uh, but also Landon Dickerson. He was kind of the heart and soul of this team in a lot of ways, uh, especially on that offensive line. Great leader, a really – now listen, mean streak. You play – you better be ready if you're going against Landon Dickerson. You better be ready not to play to the whistle, but play through the whistle. Because that's that's really that's that hey that's his that's his mentality. I'm telling you. And yeah, he would probably be one of those. Uh, was it Mike Webster? Wasn't that his? Yeah, well, they yeah, had Webster. Great. The Steelers have Webster, Dawson, Don Devontre, Dawson, and Pouncey. So they've almost yeah. three. They could have three yeah. Hall of Fame centers in a row there. So well, he he's kind of he's kind of one of those guys. So, well, Rodney, I, I know this was busy. We got you at the last minute. I really appreciate you coming on and giving us this insight into Bama in the first round and, and, and enjoy watching the Bama spring practice and uh, enjoy the draft coming up this uh, later this month. I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports. Hey, I appreciate it. You guys take care. Go ahead and follow uh, Rodney, the Titer Insider, at, at Titer Insider. Great stuff there. It's crazy the amount of people he has to follow every year because, you, you know, when people like us call – you might have two guys that are going to be drafted. Every year they've got a dozen guys that are going to be in the NFL. We just mentioned the first-rounders. Yeah, this was just the first-rounders. <laughs> they have, like, another, like, there's people that don't even, that are backups that are going to yeah. be drafted in the fourth or fifth round because they're like, well, you played behind Sertain. You played behind Najee. You there's saw, a reason why you didn't get that many reps. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're, you're getting a situation. I mean, Derrick Henry, was, we can see him play well. I mean, he was playing behind backs. I mean, if Josh Jacobs, at one point, I mean, they just loaded. I mean, again, that's just, that's what Alabama is. Alabama Alvin Kamara left Alabama because he <laughs> couldn't get reps, and now he's a top five running back in the league. Alabama's—they—they're—they're they're the type of they bring in the best players and they make them better, yeah. and that's what makes that's what that's why they keep winning national championships because they don't just recruit. They're not like the Kentuckys that just bring in these five star recruits. They bring in five star recruits and make them. They leave Alabama first round draft picks. Yeah, no, you're right. Seven forty seven. I run sports. True oldie channel. Want to touch on anything else in the draft before we go on? I, I do agree. I, I don't think that Najee Harris makes it out of the first round because I think Tampa Bay will take him. What does Tampa Bay need besides uh, – they don't really need anything. So why not take 
the best running back in the, in the draft and give Brady a little bit of a, a little bit more of a cushion. That's what I think. I want the Steelers to take. I him. know you do, and I, and Dolphins fans want him here too. That's why I don't think he makes it out of the first. Let's talk about we were talking about sort of last week touched on about the 49ers at three, where we think something yeah. different than I, I. I don't know where the Mac Jones hype has come from, Ira, and just I I've thought that this was going to be Justin Fields ever since Zach Wilson came on the scene. I can't see Kyle Shanahan with the offensive mind that he has looking at Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, two guys who go off script all the time in his division and then want to take a pocket guy. He's got Jimmy Garoppolo. Why wouldn't you want the Justin Fields type who's extremely smart, great arm, and knows how to make stuff happen outside the pocket? And I think it's, we keep hearing, in, like you just watch these mocks and people say, they're like, well, my sources in the 49ers say they're going to draft Mac Jones. <laughs> if I'm the 49ers, I'm saying that because I'm, if I think they want Justin Fields. So they're not saying, yeah, we want Justin Fields because maybe the Jets at two will say, you know, maybe we should take a look at this. Maybe mm-hmm. we should take Fields. They don't want him to take Fields. And, and we showed the comparison between when the Celtics had the, had the first pick and they traded down from the first to third when they always knew they wanted Tatum. Jalen Tatum, yeah. uh, they wanted Tatum for, uh, the, that's the, first, the, the player they wanted. They let the Sixers take Fultz. They let the Lakers take Ball. And, but they weren't going around saying, oh, we really want Tatum at three. No, they were just, everybody's equal. There's 20 players we could draft. I think what they're doing, right, I yeah. think when you're hearing this, they don't, they're afraid that the Jets might take Fields. And they want Fields. They're not, I don't think they're taking Jones either. I agree with you. They want, they want they want this improvisation. They, they're right. They have Jimmy Garoppolo if they want just a pocket passer. And I like Mac Jones a lot. And I think he's going to fit. His, I think he's going to be a very good NFL quarterback. But I think that for people to think he's, I think, I think, I think it's for. I think Fields is going to go Forty Nine ers. I, I don't necessarily think that Mac Jones won't have a fine career. I think it's, there's a ceiling there though. And if you want Kirk Cousins. As your quarterback, that's fine. <laughs> but you don't take him third overall. Trade right. down if that's what you want. I, I, I don't see it happening. I do think that the, the most pivotal part of the draft is the Falcons, what they do at, at four. If I'm them, I'm trading down just because they have so many holes. I, I know Pitts is intriguing, but does Matt Ryan need another weapon? You guys can't stop anybody. Everybody is talking about tight end from Florida, Kyle Pitts. As I mean, you, you put all the wide receivers together in terms of Smith, Devontae Smith and Jalen Walter from Alabama, Jamar Chase from LSU, uh, but Pitts at 6'6", 250, running four fours. Four, four, um, everyone's thinking, well, he will go to Atlanta and be in that situation. But but there is, again, I agree with you. I think they I think the quarterbacks, we talked about this, the, the value of quarterbacks because they make $30, $40 million a year it's better to have them and pay a quarterback six, seven million than forty. You're getting two, three extra players. Whereas in tight ends, they're not tight ends aren't making that much money. So no. that's the difference. And, and Matt Ryan's thirty six, and that team isn't losing games because of Matt Ryan. So we'll see what happens. I, I, I could see them definitely trading down. Um, let's talk a little NBA, Ira. You brought up last week. You're the only one who's talking about this, but NBA's got some issues, and we saw it on full display this past week. I, I, if I was Adam Silver on Saturday night. I would have there could the feed of ESPN would have been cut off. Like I would have just said, "There's nothing." They should have put a, like a signal. Call out a there. bomb scared. You're one of them. I don't know. Like when they like. Christmas. Remember there was a WR used to have on Christmas. Used to have a log on the fire, and they would show the log the whole day and play Christmas music yeah. because. The Lakers are playing the Nets. And like, oh, Lakers, Nets, this is it. Brooklyn, I mean, this is everything. Durant and Kyrie and Harden and LeBron and AD. This is amazing. This should get the biggest rating of the year. They only play twice a year. This is it. Uh, this game, first of all, nobody played. If you want to watch them in street clothes, uh, they had some nice <laughs> outfits on. Harden was wearing a nice outfit. LeBron had a nice outfit. AD had nice outfits on. Of course, they're on the bench. Nobody's playing because of injuries. Even Kuzma was out, and he was wearing this crazy flowery outfit was was, was out there. And, and, it, and Durant was on a minutes restriction. Kyrie and Dennis Schroeder get thrown out in the third quarter because they were arguing with each other. So then you're left with whatever. And then what did the Nets decide to do in the third and fourth quarters? Nothing. They actually stopped playing basketball. So... What was the comment that Steve Nash made? In the third quarter, they were asking about the game. They're only down eight at the time, and he goes, we're not going to win this game. We don't care about them. We're not playing hard. We don't deserve to win the game. I'm like, you're in the middle of the game. It's not like you've been blown out. It's like he just said, we are not going to win this game. It's like, everybody wants to bet the game. Please bet against the Nets. And he was right, because they got blown out by like 25. There was uh, Mac, Ben McLemore is a player that was bounced around. He was at Kansas. He was a great player at Kansas. I think he felt like he was back at to play in Kansas, Texas Corpus Christi. Because for he the he was coming down and the Lakers were wearing white instead of the, the traditional Laker colors and, and the gold and, and the blue, blue or purple and gold. I mean, it was unbelievable. The colors, they don't wear the right. So anyway, 
there was nobody covering him. He went one time down, score. That's interesting. Comes down again. There's nobody around him. He was just shooting. I'm like, he's looking around like, why is no one covering me? He's in the game. And this clock's, I mean, it's like insane. I'm like, I can't believe the Nets. There was points where the Nets just shows, they just let the Lakers dunk on the ball. They weren't even running. There were three Lakers that were just standing around. It was a joke. I mean, I mean sorry, the Nets were standing around. The Lakers were dunking. It was the Brooklyn Nets, as I've said, this is a mess. And then Kyrie announced he's not going to play. But the problem is not just the game, but it's the fact that this is an NBA basketball game and they didn't care. And it's and I, I'm someone who watches more NBA than anyone because I'm in fantasy leagues and I'm winning fantasy leagues and I stay up last night to, to all the hours to watch Plumlee play for the Pistons <laughs> to get extra couple rebounds at the end of the game. But just a terrible performance. And, and it, it was just, it was an embarrassment for their Saturday night game. Do you think that a little bit of this has to do with the fact that COVID's going on and in New York and California, they knew there was not going to be any sta- uh, fans in the stands. So you can, like, how do you justify if, if they're playing there twice and you have a season ticket holder who bought season tickets knowing, I can't wait for this game? And that's the product they get. I'm, I'm telling you, the NBA has got to get they either the schedule, they got to cut the games down. If they're stars, I know they're getting hurt or they're taking time off. This is, they're the only sport that's doing this. I'm watching NASCAR. Every NASCAR driver's there. Well, Ryan Newman was in Daytona 500 last year. He bounced, car bounced around 100,000 times. He comes back in three weeks. And, and still, mm-hmm. you don't see the NFL players are all playing. Brooks Baseball players generally. Kepka two weeks later. The, the NBA players have got, there's got to be something with this. You cannot turn these games on. And it's not just these prime time games. It's any game of the week. I'm in all these leagues. I see players sitting out all the time. It, it is and a little bit of an embarrassment. No, it's, it's crazy. And that's where I was, I, my next point I was going to jump into real fast was on the ratings. Yeah. Was uh, the, the Gonzaga-UCLA game drew a 14.9 rating, 14 point, or actually at 14,900,000. It was only about uh, a little bit under the Texas-Michigan State game of 2019. And, but the Thursday night Hornets and Nets, when they were not even against on TNT, against any other, any other NCA, drew 649,000 for an NBA basketball game yeah. on national television. And the Nuggets Clippers drew 894,000. At two th- two years ago, that same at that same time as Bucks versus Sixers, so not like the greatest matchup either. Drew 1.6 million. They went from 1.6 million to 600,000. They lost uh, two thirds of their fans. And the next game went 1.7 to 894,000. And when they say, "Oh well, it's because the NBA is down," the other sports have gone up. Baseball on Sunday night actually went up. And baseball, the White Sox Angels, which is not you know the biggest, it's not Yankees no. Dodgers, that drew almost as much as like Lakers played the Clippers, and they almost drew so as much. And and to bring about golf, the Valero Championships, which actually went up from 2019, Spieth won. That's an interesting story. It's still the Valero Championship. Nobody but Spieth played in this tournament. Doubled the NBA game, the Lakers-Clippers game. So NASCAR, And then NASCAR on Monday. This is Monday afternoon. Monday afternoon, NASCAR doubled the NBA. I- I'm telling you the NBA ratings, and as I'm the biggest NBA fan you could imagine, but they have got to do something. This is a It's imploding before our eyes, and no one's even talking about it. One thing that a lot of people aren't talking about, Ira, is the NHL trade deadline went down today. The Florida Panthers is only two points out of the uh, of the Central Division. They picked up Sam Bennett, former fourth overall pick just a few years ago. We'll see if he can come in and he got rid of a, got away from an awful Calgary team. But everyone's going to be talking about uh, the Boston Bruins brought in Taylor Hall. This guy, he's a superstar, but he bounces around like nobody's business. Just a second-round pick for him. So it uh, should be interesting as hockey heats up. Just about two weeks left there. It's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, 755. Ira, I hate the beginning of baseball season because I feel like <laughs> there's just so many like freaking like this is when all the Tommy Johns start coming out. And now we've got you know the the Yankees uh, pitcher James Paxton they brought up brought in three years ago. I feel like he's pitched three games for us and and he's gonna miss a, a long amount of time now after going just one inning. It's it's been a rough start to the season for some people. I did. I watched the Musgrove. I like on my app. I have on my phone when someone's pitching a no hitter, and of course they go a little early. It's like after three innings, a no hitter's yeah. being pitched. But I did jump on the Joe Musgrove game against San Diego against Texas, and I watched the last two innings of that game. That was exciting. I mean, yeah. considering another pirate, Joe Musgrove, who they gave away. left. They left. A, there's no. But it was it was fun at the end to watch that. And I it was weird because they he only pitched to 27. He almost had a perfect game. It was only he had a hit. I couldn't figure out why it wasn't a perfect game, but he had a hit bat hits batsman mm-hmm. is the only reason it was. It wasn't a perfect game, but it was the first perfect, perfect, first no hitter in Padres history, which is crazy. And it was neat because Joe Musgrove grew up as a Padres fan, and it was like he was crying. It was really emotional. It was really good. I like, and he ended that game strong. I mean, he only pitched, I think it was like 105 pitches, 110 pitches, and he was pitching strong at the end. That was. It, I thought it was weird too that, uh, and I think there was only two teams left that didn't have a no hitter. 
And you start to think about it. Who's the best Padres pitcher ever? Jake Peavy was good for like three, four years. But they've never had like a real good starting pitcher in San Diego. There's a guy named Randy Jones years before your time. He won the Cy Young, but that's okay. (laughs) But I I love, you know, I'll tell you, we're going to just a couple of things. One thing about baseball, which the Yankees, again, a mess. I mean, they, Jermon, who've been waiting for like three years to finally pitch for them. He lasted, what, a week? And then they now they've, uh, they've, uh, they they don't have a fifth. They're trying to figure out what their fifth starter is. No, it's, and the Yankees continue to do what the Yankees do. They don't get timely hits. It's home runs, strikeouts. That's all they that's all they do. And they're letting teams beat them by playing small ball and just playing smarter than them. And it's been kick, uh, kicking our butts. <laughs> <laughs> and then J.D. Martinez for the Red Sox. And I have to say the Red Sox have started out much better than I anticipated it. But what a start. Five home runs, 16 RBI, 17 hits. He's just rookie, uh, player of the week this past week. Um, someone who, you know, they're saying they, you know, he gets a lot of flack because people think they traded Mookie Betts because of his contract. But he's really earning his con. He's having a better, is the MVP of the league right now to start. What's interesting, you bring that up. Um, Alex Ver- Verdugo, who was on L.A., is now with Boston as a result of that. He's come out like gangbusters to start the season. So you, you got rid of Mookie Betts, but if, if you put Mookie Betts' numbers right ne- next to Alex Verdugo's right now, Verdugo's got him beat, even though it's only been two weeks. That's still a good sign that, that they did something correct there. And the one thing they're talking about if, if here on the national media is some of the replay reviews have been wrong, that yep. the end of the Mets game where Conforto reached across the plate, I mean, that was that was a terrible call yeah. because he got hit. They won on a hits batsman when he reached, when he went across the the uh, home plate and, and just literally was hit. It was like a Little League play, like totally little. <laughs> it's like Fat News Bears, like yeah. Walter Matho, which is before you know, was, was teaching oh, that was play. Man. That was great. And uh, and I couldn't believe the umpire. The umpire clearly came out and said, I was totally wrong. Like, you cannot get hit by a pitch <laughs> when you reach across the plate. And they couldn't review it, which I was surprised because my friends call it, is that reviewable? I go, yeah, it has to be. But I was surprised. It's one of those NFLs that's like not reviewable calls. It, it was weird. Um, I, I, hate, I don't even want to say this because he lives in Loxahatchee, but uh, Angel Hernandez, who just has the record of being terrible, he had a game where he's 86% accurate on the strike zone. These guys are usually like 98% for, for the game, and they grade them all now, 86%. That's just not a good look for you. Got a minute or two left here, Ira. What's going on in racing? Well, NASCAR race, it was supposed to be on Saturday, and I ended up going on Sunday, and it was cool because I got to watch the Masters and then got to watch, I then I watched the Masters and then watched like the last hour of the race. It's in Martinsdale, Virginia. Um, I love what they do in, in racing sometimes. They give away a grandfather clock because there's a big furniture area, and that's the history, and it's only a half a mile track. It was built in 1947 and it's asphalt on the straightaways, concrete in the corners. So it's really small and they're going around, but they only go like 75 miles an hour. So it's actually real racing. And Martin Durex Jr., I'm a big Denny Hamlin fan. I like number 11. Uh, we're going to talk about Julian Edelman uh, uh, retiring too, which we missed. We'll talk about next week. Nope, just now. For a sec. But uh, Truex Jr. Uh, held, held off uh, Denny Hamlin going around like for the last like 15 laps. Uh, Hamlin, I mean, Truex is trying to pass Hamlin. Hamlin is driving blocking him, blocking him. This is like total cool racing. Finally passed him, and he ended up winning. And uh, Joe Gibbs racing at Toyota. They had four of the top ten because Bell, they both both are teammates. And it was funny when they interviewed Truex afterwards, he's like, Joe Gibbs, who's a former Washington Redskins coach, mm-hmm. said, he goes, I know he's my teammate, and we wanted to race clean. I knew if we crashed the cars, I would get yelled at in, in the coaching room and stuff like that. Uh, but Hamlin led 276 laps. Uh, Ryan Blaney led 157 laps, but he was, he was penalized because he had a when he went out of the pits, there was a, a, a gun to fill up the uh, uh, the tire, and mm-hmm. he dragged it out on the, under the. How many times has someone you ever seen pull off from, and there was still like the nozzle still in the hose when they come out? That's what happened. And then you the, and you do the NASCAR, and you're back to the and it ended up costing the whole race. But good race, and it was exciting. And, and Truex now was his second win. So Ira, I think if five years from now you asked someone who is the second most uh, postseason receptions in the NFL. Who are they going to say? I, I don't think that anybody's going to have a, a clear-cut answer on this. And it's Julian Edelman. He's going to retire today, and oh, he announced his retirement today. And he's not going to be a Hall of Famer, but, man, that's a heck of a career. 118. He has, he has, Jerry Rice is number one. He is number two in postseason receptions, 118 to 151. He was the MVP of Super Bowl 53 with 10 receptions, 141 yards. Talk about Brady being a pick in the seventh round. He was a seventh-round pick out of Kent State. He was a quarterback quarterback at Kent State, 232. He ended up with 620 receptions, second in in Pat's history. Uh, Just his knee injury that he just cannot get over. Uh, But he is 36 years old, so that's for wide receivers. But what a great career, very popular, um, and uh, just uh, in 
in in Pat's lore, Gronkowski, Edelman, Welker, Brady. Those are the names. No, they they've made it uh, look really good. Um, I want to thank Rodney Moore. Uh, Rodney, are you, what are you doing this week, by the way? You getting out for anything? You, uh, you've been in the house for like four days. You must be going nuts. Well, I want to tell you something. I would love to see the Nets Heat on Sunday. But uh, the ticket prices are through the roof for this game. And I would like to see I, I, if somehow so I can – way they haven't released their tickets. The Heat haven't re- – ha, there's no tickets, quote, released. So these are just sub-up tickets. And they've been doing the vaccination sections, which are a lot cheaper than non-vaccinated. It's, it's all complicated. But that's – I'm not going to pay a fortune to go see a regular season NBA game when no one's going to play in the game. Because yeah. <laughs> Harden's out, Durant's out, Kyrie might play, whatever. So the point is I'd like to see the Heat Nets, but we'll see about on Sunday afternoon. The Heat have t- two tough games. They they play Phoenix this week. They they play – and that's going to be that's gonna be difficult. And Denver. So they have two really but last night's win against Portland was huge they play Phoenix Denver Minnesota and then they uh, and then they fit, come back here on Sunday afternoon we are uh, just about out of time on behalf of Ira thanks so much for Rodney Ora stopping by it's Ira on sports let's talk next Monday night